morning. Thank God for this opportunity to come before you today. Thank Pastor Mike for giving me this opportunity also. <clears throat> can you please turn with me to Judges chapter 14? We continue our series on Judges here. We're going to look over 14 and 15 today. She'll be on page 214 of your Pew Bible. Judges chapter 14 and 15. <clears throat> so when you turn on the news today, you may think that this world is in utter chaos. We have daily disease, Ebola, everywhere. We have civil unrest, wars, rumors of wars in Iraq, in Afghanistan, Syria. You may look at your own family, and there may be loss, death, betrayal. The events in the life of Samson, the last judge in the book of Judges, is thrilling and tragic, actually. It could be a movie or a novel, but the problem is it's not. It's real, it was real life. It was real people and real events. And the story wasn't recorded for our entertainment, but it was written in order to teach us something about God and the way that he runs his universe Romans 14 or 15 and 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Amen. And so this morning, my aim is to give you hope. We're going to look at this story, and we're going to learn something about God. Life is hard, and God is good. I intend to give you a rock-solid foundation of truth that we can stand on when you encounter life. In Judges 14 and 15, we have a tiny part of redemptive history. And I'm going to point out three things that I observed when I read these two chapters. The first one, the God that's revealed in the Bible, he's sovereign. He's the king of the universe. And he's unfolding history according to his will and his purpose. And nothing that happens in creation is contrary to his foreordained plan. Second, God can and does use evil people in their evil actions. He uses sin to accomplish his plan and his purpose without himself being evil. And third, God has purposed all of history to save and refine his people and to judge those who don't find refuge in him. Let us pray. Father God, I just pray that you take the words from my lips and you take your spirit and you accomplish your will, Father. You open up the hearts of, of us, Lord, so we can hear you speak this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take your wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. 
for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, verse 4 there, we're going to stop there. This is going to be the main point of my sermon because I believe that's the main point of the next two chapters. And honestly, I believe it's the main point of history that everything is ultimately from the Lord. Now, again, everything good and bad. And now hearing that for the first time, it may, it may sound like, hey, something's right with that. Uh, we can't have sin and things like this being from the Lord. But we're going to take a little time and look at some scriptures to see if these things are so. So, back in Judges 13, we covered last week, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And in verse 5, it says, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so, from the very start, we see that the fact that Israel is in his predicament is from the Lord, that he gave them to the Philistines and he was going to send Samson to deliver them from the Philistines. So God interacts in history and time and space, but he's not passive. He's not reacting to history. He's not sitting in heaven hoping and, and, and wringing his hair, like hoping that people obey him and things happen according to his plan. No. The reason... He can tell us what's going to happen in history is because he wrote history according to his preordained knowledge and plan and purpose. So God's attributes of foreknowledge and omniscience, it may be a little different than what we usually think. So he just don't know a lot of facts like Google or a computer. He's not a fortune teller that can look into the future and try to manipulate things and do things to kind of work things out at the end. No, he has a plan. It's all working according to that plan. Isaiah 46 and 8. If you, you can turn there with me. Forty-six and eight it says, "Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done." Now, if we stop right there, we can say that yeah, God, He just can see the future and He just tell us what's going to happen. But let's keep reading. It says, "Sing, my counsel shall stand." And I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east and the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And so, again, God declares history and he has the power to bring it about. Amen. That's God. That's the God we serve. And so all circumstances, both good and bad, is from the Lord. And so that's why back in verse 4, back in Judges 14, he can, we can say that even though Samson wanted this Philistine as a wife and his mother and father, they couldn't understand it, we can say it's from the Lord. 
Daniel chapter 4 says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Lamentations chapter 3, 37 says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? Deuteronomy 32 says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So when we read Judges 14 and 4, when we see Samson want something that's bad, he wanted this Philistine from a people that's uncircumcised. They're not a part of the covenant people. They're pagans. They worship idols. And God said, don't have anything to do with them. But he says, I want her. And his parents plead with him, say, why? Why do you want her? Isn't there nobody from our own people you can take? But they did not know it was from the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belongs to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God is working in history, and we don't know the details and how things work out sometimes, and so the righteous must live by faith. We can know that God is working. We just do what's been revealed to us. We obey those things. And we trust God for the rest. That was my first observation. My second observation, everything is from the Lord, but he is unstained with sin. He uses means or secondary causes. So he's not responsible for the sin. He's holy. He tempts no man with sin. He's holy, three times holy. Job is a good picture of this. We're not going to turn there, but if you remember the story of Job, it was uh, the Chaldeans or the Sabaeans, they came and they stole his cattle and his sheep. A whirlwind came and it's, it, it crushed his children in a house and then disease inflicted his body. And then, and so those people who stole his sheep, they were thieves and they stole the sheep. The wind that came, uh, we live in a fallen world, and it blew down that house, and it killed his 10 children. And the disease, again, this fallen world, it wrecked his body with boils and pain. Those things was real, and it brought pain. But Job was able, was able to look past all those things, and this is what he said. And actually, his wife said, uh, why don't you just kill yourself? Just curse God and die. But Job said, No. You speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In the midst of his pain, Job understood that God was good. And God was God. And some people, at least some people say, well, Job, he didn't know what he was talking about. He was out of his mind. Actually, somebody told me that. But the next verse says, and all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. He did not charge God with evil. But he realized that it was all from the hand of the sovereign God. And so back to the judges, Samson, his parents, again, they don't, can't understand that their son, 
whom they just, the God himself came down in chapter 13 and said, I'm going to give you a son, and he's going to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's supposed to be separate, and you want to marry a, a pagan? They can't understand it. But thank God for his word. It says they did not know that it was from the Lord. Number six lays out the provisions of a Nazarite. He was, Samson was supposed to abstain, abstain from wine and strong drink. He was supposed to abstain from contact to the dead, with the dead. And he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. Now, Samson did all those things. In verse 9 here, it says he, he killed the lion and he got honey from the lion. In verse 10, he had a feast for his wedding, and it was a pagan feast. It lasted seven days, and all they did was drink, what the commentaries say. And then, of course, in chapter 16, and I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of Delilah that cut his hair. And so we have this Israel, Israelite who's also... A Nazarene who's supposed to be separate, holy for God, who disregards God's word and did everything he wasn't supposed to do. But it was from the Lord. We want to look at the rest of this chapter and the next chapter. We're going to see a lot of suffering here. We see that. Uh, we're going to pick up here at uh, verse Verse 17 here. Actually, I'm just going to give you a synopsis here. So Moses, uh, Samson had this feast for his wedding. It lasted for seven days. And he, his guest came. And he gave him a riddle. He said, hey, I want to give you a riddle. If you can tell me the answer to this riddle, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothes. But if you can't, after seven days, you give me 30 pieces of clothing. And they said, okay, we'll do that. We'll take you up on that. And he says, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And they couldn't get it. Verse 15 says, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband and tell us what the riddle is. At least we burn you and your father's house for fire. And, of course, wanting to preserve her life, she says, Samson, what's the answer to this riddle? And he, she begged him and begged him and begged him. And after three days of begging, Samson says, okay, I'll tell you. And he told her the answer to the riddle. And, of course, she went and told her, told her friends so she didn't want to die. And then the men of the city, verse 18, said to him on the seventh day, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Now, needless to say that Samson was hurt that his fiance, his wife, betrayed him. But he was more angry, as we shall see as we continue reading here. He says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Eshkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In a hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Chapter 15, after some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to the, visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I would go into my wife, into her chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? 
please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do, when I do to them harm. So Samson went and caught 30 foxes and, and, tor- and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stack grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. That's a bad way to die. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will avenge you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourself. They said to him, No, bound him. I'm sorry. He said, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax. And it caught fire. And his bones melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of the donkey and put on his hand. That he put it in his hand and he took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. Now, there was a lot of pain in there. Again, we could think this is just a story for our entertainment, but it's not. There was people that died, people that was betrayed, people that was burnt alive, people who was judged, but also people who was humbled. God is working. He's working his plan. Everybody here, they had their own personal selfish reasons for doing what they did. Samson, he just wanted revenge. The people, the Philistines, they just wanted to subject the people underneath them. Samson's fiance just wanted to preserve her, her life and end up still being killed. Everybody had their own purpose, their own evil purposes. But God had his. This was from the Lord. Ephesians 1.11 says, God is he who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Evil men, they do their thing. But God is working. And that's the reason we can have hope this morning. We live in a fallen world. People will betray you. The people you trust most, people are going to hurt you. Our bodies will fail. There's hurt in our families. Our children will disobey us and do things we don't want them to do, things that we know that will destroy their lives. But there's hope this morning. 
because God is on his throne. This idea of compatibilism, where man is responsible for his actions, they're evil, and they have their own purposes, and God is on his throne doing his purposes, is hard to understand. And I, honestly, I believe it's impossible, just like God himself. But we can rest assured that God is on his throne, and we can f- fall on our knees before him in faith and trust him. Well, he's good. Turn, uh, turn to Acts 2 with me, chapter 22. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 22. Now, this is, I believe, the most evil act that ever happened in, the, in human history. The crucifixion of the Son of God. But it's also the most blessed act in human history. The crucifixion of the Son of God. says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was according to God's plan, but their hands was lawless. Flip over one chapter or two chapters, Acts chapter 4, 24. says the same thing. Chapter 4, verse 24. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Skip down to verse 27. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It was his plan. It was his hand that put Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel together to crucify his anointed. With their lawless, evil hands. There's hope this morning because God reigns in heaven. My third observation here says God is sovereign and He ordains history to judge sinners, but also to save sinners and to refine them. First, God judges sinners. And so, in the passage that we read, we see there was a lot of suffering. A lot of pain. God is merciful and long-suffering, but he also fixes a time for judgment. And that once that time comes, that's it. There's no more chance for repentance. And that time had come for the Philistines. They seen God's judgment. And again, God just began to deliver the children of Israel from their hands. He, won't, he wouldn't finish it until King David. But God says, Look, you root over my people for 40 years. He says, this far and no further. And that's it. And time may come for the Philistines here. There's another story here that, that illustrates this. It's in 1 Samuel 2.22. I'm just going to read it for you. He says, now Eli was very old. He kept hearing all this that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of the evil Things that you're doing. He says, no, my sons, it is not good 
for you to be doing these things. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Listen to this. It says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so again, God, he's working in history to judge sinners. And we may tread lightly on his patience. We may take it for granted. But there comes a time when there's going to be no more chance for repentance. You won't listen to your parents. You won't listen to the godly counsel you receive. Because God has meant to put you to death. Esau, there's a story in, in Hebrews 12. It says Esau sold his birthright for, for porch. And although he sought it back with tears, he found no room for repentance. That's a frightening thing. God is on his throne. Who can fight him? So all the suffering that we just read there, it was God's judgment on the Philistines. But we can have hope for tomorrow because God is also working to save. He's also working to redeem and to refine. And so the suffering that we're going to see that happens with Israel and, and Samson, it was for God's purpose to humble them. It wasn't to judge them. It was to discipline them in righteousness. It was to sanctify them and purify them. Let's pick up our story here in verse 18, chapter 15. So after Samson killed a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, it says, and he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called Enahakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now, Samson, again, we read earlier in 14, he could have cared less about delivering the children of Israel from the hands of the Lord, uh, from, from the Philistines. He just wanted revenge. When he, when somebody was in front of him, he killed them. <laughs> it was nothing. When a lion came, he killed it. And when these thousand men came, he killed it. Of course, it was the spirit of the Lord that gave him the strength to do that. But he didn't realize it. He was conceited and self-righteous. And so God humbled him. And this place here is only one of two places that he actually called on the name of the Lord. The second one was when at the end of his life, when he was bound, he was, bound, he was blinded, and he was entertaining the Philistines in humiliation. And so God had to teach Samson to rely on him. He had to learn Jeremiah 9, 23 that says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. Samson's sins was his choice. The consequences was real, but God used them. He redeemed them to sanctify Samson. 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father don't discipline? If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have and had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as it has seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12, 5 and 11. Samson was trained. He was disciplined by the sovereign hand of God through affliction and through suffering. And Hebrews 11 tells us that Samson, he made it to the Hall of Fame of Faith here. 1132 says, and what more shall we say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, the Barak, to Samson, to Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. He was humiliated and blinded, and he went through a lot. He suffered, but he came through it all, trusting God. He died, but he kept the faith. Zechariah 13 says, And the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. God is judging sinners and God is refining his people. Those who find refuge in him. He's using every temptation, every sin, every harsh word that's spoken to you, every pain that you feel in your body. He's using it to train you in righteousness, to depend on him and to trust in him. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, to keep me from being conceited like Samson. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then he is strong dear Christian I don't know what you're going through but I can tell you God is good Listen to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. 
But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord's hold them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those that take refuge in him. I said I want to give you hope this morning. There's hope in Christ. Again, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Life is hard. There's going to be times where you don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to deal with life. I don't want to deal with my family or my friends who's causing me pain and hurt. There's going to be times where your body, again, fails you. The reason I want to give you this so you can have a foundation to stand on when those times come. Again, when those times come, I'm not going to tell you that, oh, yeah, it's all part of God's plan. I want to put my hand around you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to laugh with you. We need to know this before we go through the fire, before we go through the storm. I don't want to minimize any pain or any suffering here. But you can know it is all a part of the plan of a good God. We can have hope this morning because we have a king that's on his throne. And he says, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I give you rest. He says, come to me. Come find refuge in me. He has fixed the day that he's going to judge the world. But he says, come. Today is the day. Tomorrow may not come. It's not promised to no man. Will you please bow with me in prayer? Father God, I just pray that you take the words of my mouth, my stammering tongue, and your word accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish, Lord. To save, Father. We pray that you save this morning. You save, Lord. Have mercy on us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our sins. Save us from this fallen world. We pray that you give us hope for tomorrow. You give us faith, Lord. Pray that we can trust you, that we can rest in your good, sovereign hands. I pray that the people under the sound of my voice, Lord, realize that they're here by divine appointment. Pray that you use their lives, use the good and the bad to sanctify them, to purify them, Lord. We pray these things for your precious son's sake. Amen.